Now, brethren, as we approach the end of the calendar year in the Western world, we experience a rush of holidays. We go from Halloween, we go to Thanksgiving, then to Christmas, and then New Year's. And as a series of dinners and parties, uh, stores are full of seasonal products. In a couple of weeks, we're going to be hearing uh, Christmas carols. And for those of you that have grown up in this Western world, you you tend to kind of start humming along with those things and then wonder, what am I doing? (laughs) We also have distracting thoughts. You know, especially where it snows, where there's uh, lights on the houses and things like that, they do look pretty. And then you have to kind of come back to square one, that these are pagan holidays, and they distract our thoughts or can distract our thoughts. But one of the benefits of the Sabbath is it gives us a time to hit the pause button and just come back out of the world and begin focusing on things that are really important, focusing on the big issues, the big questions of life. I want to talk about these a little bit later, but I want to basically put some things in perspective first. You know, the things we need to think about on the Sabbath is why are we here? But make this personal. Why are you here? Why are you here? Why did call why did God call you into his church? Why did God call you into his church today? And what is the mission of that church at the end of the age? What's the mission of that church that God has called you into at the end of the age? And are we focused? Are you focused on that mission? Are you focused on that mission? And what happens if we fail to complete that mission? We need to think about some of these things. What happens if you don't fulfill your role that God has called you to fulfill? Now, brethren, we live in an increasingly secular world today, a world that is filled with distractions. And as we go through a holiday period, there's lots of distractions. There's lots of distractions that we can get focused on those things instead of where we need to be focused. Our increasingly secular world, you know, we hear very little about God. Now, you'll hear things as we approach Christmas about Jesus and things like that. As Mr. Armstrong used to say, the world talks about Jesus, but they don't listen to his message that he brought. Belief in God is mocked today. The Bible is viewed as myths and stories and fairy tales. And the result of that is increasing numbers of adults and almost 30% of young people have no religion. They're just not plugged in to religion today. And they have very little interest in the Bible because they hear the Bible being put down and mocked. But this is the world we live in. And many assume that religion, and especially the Bible, are irrelevant. Because they live their lives without going to church. They live their lives without reading the Bible. And religion seems irrelevant to many people today. 
We also see Bible prophecies coming true almost every day. It's been amazing what has been happening over the last several years. It seems like almost every day something else happens. You realize that's what that scripture was talking about. And that's what that scripture was talking about. We've been wondering for years how these things would work out. But things are coming to pass. You know, Dr. Meredith mentioned before he died, he said, I see more things happening today that we have been watching for for 40 or 50 years. But they're happening today. But the world doesn't understand that. We see these things happening and we can plug them into scriptures, but the world is not focused in that direction. As a result, most people have no idea about the prophetic significance of what's happening today and what appears to be coming down the road. You know, today people see things getting worse, but they don't know why. They see things getting worse, but they don't know why they're getting worse. They don't have a perspective that God has given to us. Uh, Many people are cynical about the future because they don't see any real hope for the future. They see no hope for the future. Many have given up on the future because they don't understand what the Bible reveals about the future. I think most of you are here because you understand what the Bible reveals about the future and you want to be part of that future. You know, there's truly, as Mr. Armstrong used to say over the years, there is a missing dimension in our world today. God has given us an understanding of that dimension. The world doesn't have that. That's why there's a lack of hope in the world today. But you know, there's another interesting dimension about the world today in America and in the Western world. Our post-Christian society has been programmed by the media and by Hollywood to reject or ignore the Bible and God. Because you don't hear this talked about uh, on the media. You don't hear it from Hollywood. Yet many people find stories about the Bible and ideas from the Bible interesting and exciting. So we live in a secular world, and yet Hollywood even understands that. You look at some of the films that were produced over the last maybe 40, 50, 60 years. In the 50s, there were two films that Charlton Heston uh, played a role in. One was The Ten Commandments. And it drew a lot of people, drew a lot of interest. It was about Moses in Egypt, about the plagues, and Hollywood had a great time creating the plagues and uh, going through the Red Sea uh, and giving the Ten Commandments. The movie Ben-Hur was about a young Jew, Judah Ben-Hur, and a Roman fellow that grew up to become a soldier. They were friends in their youth, but they wound up becoming parted and got into a chariot race that was deadly for one person. Charlton Heston, or the Judah Ben-Hur actor, happened to be in Jerusalem whenever Jesus was being crucified and tried. He happened to be standing, now this is Hollywood, he happened to be standing in the, the line, or watching as Jesus walked by carrying a cross, and then Jesus stumbled, and a guy was grabbed out of the, the, the crowd to carry the cross. And of course, in the movie, it was Judah Ben-Hur. But it was about Jesus Christ. It was about him as a historical figure. 
More recently, some films, The Passion of Jesus Christ by Mel Gibson, talked about the life and death of Jesus Christ. And I heard an interview with a young man who played Jesus in the film. And he said, it actually changed my life. Because he put himself in the role of Jesus Christ. They were actually filming part of it where Christ was being slashed or you know, beaten. And they had a board on this guy's back. The camera didn't see that. So he was being whipped. But he said, on one of those strikes, one of the leather thongs with a piece of metal on it missed the board. And it, ah, it hit him. But he said, playing that role changed my life because he was learning about what Jesus Christ did. It's a film about Noah, a biblical character, but Hollywood took some very serious liberties with the scriptures in that particular movie. It was primarily all fiction. There was another very popular film, uh, the Indiana Jones film, The Last Crusade, that uh, <clears throat> was uh, very popular, made a lot of money, it was, it was fiction, but it was built on some ideas that came from the Bible. It was built on some ideas that came from the Bible. It was a humorous, action-packed film about two archaeologists, a father and a son, who went on a very exciting globe-trotting adventure. The father was Sean Connery, who was a 007 agent. And the son was uh, Harrison Ford the um, Han Solo from the Star Wars movies. Put together, uh, it made a very exciting film. Indiana Jones was the, a young college professor that infatuated all the girls in his class. In fact, one of the scenes in the film, every time that uh, Indiana Jones looked at her, she would blink her eyes very slowly. And she'd written on her eyelids, I love you. <laughs> but these were the things that entertained millions of people. Entertained millions of people. The theme of the film was Indiana Jones and his dad teamed up in a race with the Nazis to find the Holy Grail. To find the Holy Grail. The cup that was supposedly used by Jesus Christ in the Last Supper and if you drank from it, you gained eternal life. Now, these are ideas and legends that are built around the Bible. But millions of people were entertained by these stories that supposedly came from the Bible. What many people don't realize, and this is where I want to go with the sermon, is that the Bible also talks about a last crusade. The Bible talks about a last crusade that you and I have been called to be part of. And there's some very interesting parallels between the movie and the biblical account of the last crusade. However, the biblical last crusade is not about entertainment. It's not about entertainment. The biblical last crusade is about a coming future reality. A coming future reality that you and I have been called to be part of. And that future reality, that last crusade, is going to impact the entire world. It's going to impact the entire world. 
So what I'd like to do in the sermon today is examine what the Bible says about a last crusade and why this last crusade is important to God and also important to the world. And I want to focus on our need to grasp our role in that last crusade. Our need to grasp our role in this last crusade because if we don't fulfill our role, we may lose our reward. So this is not an entertainment movie that we're talking about today. We're talking about something quite serious and something we need to focus on as we go through the Sabbath to spend some time thinking and meditating. Why are you here? Why did God call you to become part of his church at the end of the age? And are we focused on that? We don't want to let the, you know, the holiday music and everything else cause us to veer off track and lose our focus. So I've entitled the, the sermon, The Last Crusade, The Only Real Hope for the World. The Last Crusade, The Only Real Hope for the World. Because we're living in a world that doesn't have a whole lot of hope for the future. Let's talk a little bit about a crusade for just a minute, because we hear the term, but what does it mean? Uh, what were the crusades? You know, history is not one of the, uh, the prime subjects today that kids study in school. Um, <clears throat> but it's something we need to be aware of. A crusade is a campaign to promote a social, political, or religious change. It's a battle. Uh, it's a war. It's a struggle to do something, in this particular case, to promote a change in the world, to make the world a better place. At least that's what the crusaders thought. When you were on the other end of the stick, the other end of the sword, it was an invasion. Uh, it was not a uh, conquest to uh, do what the crusaders wanted. Crusades were religious wars in the Middle Ages during about a 200-year period during the 1200s, 1300s, by European Christians promoted by the Catholic Church. And the idea was to regain lands that the Muslims had conquered about 600 years earlier. And they also wanted to liberate Jerusalem. Now, that was the Crusaders' view. They wanted to liberate Jerusalem from the Muslims. The Muslims said, you're invading us. The goal of the mission, as I mentioned, the goal of the mission was to reclaim lands in the Middle East conquered by the Muslims and liberate Jerusalem. The Crusades were armed armed pilgrimages with knights in armor. And they had their swords and their shields and their horses and uh, swords and spears and so on. What I didn't realize was there were about three million people died during the Crusades. About three million people, about 200 Europeans, and probably about a million Muslims died during those wars. Um, The word crusade comes from a Spanish word, cruzado, which refers to uh, a sign of the cross. And many of the crusaders had on their shields or on their tunics a big red cross. They were crusaders. What were the rewards for going on a crusade? 
because it's going to be a parallel to us today. The rewards were basically that the crusaders were granted indulgences by the Pope. If you go on a crusade, then your sins are going to be forgiven. You can go to heaven. Uh, You may gain fame and fortune if you survive. (laughs) If you survive. But there's a motivation. There's a motivation to gain fame, uh, to gain a fortune, because if you conquered something, you could take what was left, the spoils. But there were also crusades against uh, heretics, at least in terms of the Catholic Church, against the Albigensians, Cathars, the Waldensians, people that differed from the Roman Catholic Church. And the Pope launched crusades against these people, basically to wipe them out. So a crusade is a campaign. It's a battle. It's a struggle. But literally to change the world the way you want it to go. And that's what the crusaders were out to do. But how does this idea of a crusade apply to the church of God today? How does it apply to us at the end of the age? You know, just as the crusaders had a mission and they were looking for a reward, God has given his church at the end of the age a mission. And he's also given us the promised reward if we complete the mission. If we complete the mission. So we don't want to walk away from that mission. We want to complete it. And this is why we need to stay focused on that mission and complete the mission. Otherwise, we could lose our reward. So let's focus for a little bit. What is the mission of the church of God? It's interesting when you listen to Protestant preachers talk about the purpose of the church. Well, it's a spiritual hospital to take care of spiritually sick sick people. In some cases, it's to feed the poor. To open soup kitchens and things like that. Or maybe it's to save the world. Or is it a call to a crusade? Is it a call to a crusade? Now, many of these scriptures you're going to be familiar with, so I'm not going to turn to all of them. But in Matthew 4, verses 18 and 19, it talks about Jesus calling his disciples. He said, follow me, and I'm going to make you fishers of men. I'm going to send you out to reach people with a message. This is your mission. This is your calling. This is your purpose. Jesus called his disciples to make them fishers of men. You know, as we write articles, as we produce television programs, is designed to reach people. I remember I gave a lecture one time at a college and I asked Dr. Hay for some advice. He said, ask questions. Ask unanswerable questions <laughs> to get people to think. To get people to think. You know, why are you here? What's the purpose of human life? What's the purpose of the church? What's our mission today being called into that church at the end of the age? Matthew 16 and verse 18, Matthew 16, 18, Jesus said, I'm going to build my church and the gates of hell, the grave will not prevail against it. It's going to live. It's going to continue to exist clear down to the end of the age. Turn to Matthew 28, verses 19 and 20, Matthew 28, verses 19 and 20. How does this relate to us today? This is what Jesus told his disciples to do. 
Matthew 28, verses 19 and 20. He says in verse 19, go therefore and make disciples of all nations. You know, those that are called and those that begin to follow God's way of life, make them disciples, teach them God's way of life. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I've commanded you. For lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. I've called you. I'm going to be with you as you go about your mission, as you conduct your crusade. I'm going to be with you. I'm going to be opening doors, closing doors, guiding you, leading you. That is, if you're responsive to the directions that I want to lead you. So this is our mission. This is our mission. Go to Matthew 16 or Mark 16 and verse 15. Now, these are the instructions we find at the end of the Gospels. Each one of these, Matthew and Mark. Mark 16 and verse 15, he said to them, now this is their mission. Go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. Go into all the world. This is our mission today. We can't just sit in our, our little homes and maybe listen to our radio We've got to be focused on a mission. Now, all of us are not out there you know, writing articles or doing this or doing that, but our prayers can be with everything that's being done. Our prayers can be behind what's being done today as we stay focused on things. We go into all the world, preach the gospel to everyone. And you go to Acts 17, verse 6, where it says the disciples pursuing that mission, pursuing that crusade, turned the world upside down. And that's our mission today, to turn this world right side up, explaining a message that the world doesn't perceive, doesn't understand, and in many cases doesn't want to hear. Doesn't want to hear. So this is our mission. These are our marching orders. Jesus also, in fact, let's, let's number these things. One, two, three. These, these are a quick summary of the mission of the church. Number one, go into all the world and preach the gospel. Go into all the world and preach the gospel. Number two, Matthew 24, warn the world about the consequences of sin, the consequences of forgetting God, the consequences of turning away from God, which we're doing today. And the assumption is, but it doesn't matter because religion's irrelevant. So the world thinks. But there is a God, and he's going to intervene, and he's going to bring things to pass that the Bible talks about. So number two is warning the world about the consequences of sin. Isaiah 58 verse 1 says, Cry aloud, spare not, show my people what they're doing and what's going to happen to them if they continue going down that road. And this is part of our mission today, to make this plain and clear. And number three, an aspect of a mission. Luke chapter 1 verse 17. Luke 1 17 where it says, make ready a people prepared for the Lord. Get a group of people ready. Feed the flock. Get them ready to become leaders in the coming kingdom of God, teachers in the coming kingdom of God. That's why we're here on the Sabbath. That's why we have Bible studies, to go over basic fundamental scriptures and fundamental principles. You know, one of these days, I can remember... 40, 50 years ago, sitting out in the audience watching somebody else preach. (laughs) 
you're watching somebody else preach. One of these days, going to knock on the door. It's your turn. It's your turn. Are you ready? We talked about that a couple weeks ago. We need to get ready. We need to be ready. We can all say, well, I don't want to be a preacher. You've been called. (laughs) You've been called to become a king, a priest, a teacher, a leader, a servant. That's why we're here. You can be a Jonah. You can run out the door. (laughs) There may not be a whale out there. (laughs) But we're here. God has called us, chosen us to do something, to be part of a church that has a mission. But Jesus also provided some warnings. In John 15, verse 20, he said, you're going to face resistance. They persecuted me. If they persecuted me, they're going to persecute you. Your mission is not going to be easy. You're going to have to have a certain amount of stick to certain amount of courage to do what you need to do to get the job done. Turn, if you would, now to Ephesians chapter 6. I've been calling this a last crusade, but Paul uses some of the same terminology. He talks about an army. But notice in Ephesians chapter 6. To fulfill your mission, to fulfill your calling. Verse 11, he says, put on the whole armor of God. And that's what the knights did when they went on crusade. They put on their breastplates. They put on their their helmets, and notice what Paul is saying here. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. Satan is not going to want this crusade to continue. He will do everything he can to mess it up, and he will do everything he can to distract you and discourage you. So Paul is saying here, put on the whole armor of God so you can stand against the wiles of the devil. We don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against rulers of darkness of this age, and against spiritual hosts of wickedness in heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day. He says, having your waist girded with the truth, having a belt that says, Maybe a big Texas belt buckle up here says truth across the front. We had a young fellow that was here in Charlotte for a while. His name was Truth. You don't want to put his head up there. But the truth is what gives us strength. The truth is what we've been called to proclaim. Have your waist girded with the truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness. A breastplate protects your chest, protects your heart. And that breastplate is of righteousness, the commandments of God. We've got to be wanting to live by those, determined to live by those commandments. And you can read the rest of these things there, but you can picture a group of knights with their armor on their horses, with their their lances and with their spears and with their shields. They went out to fight a battle. We've been called to fight battles too, and those battles are going to be between our ears a lot of times. That's how Satan works on us. He tries to get our minds focused in different directions, get us discouraged through trials and tribulations. But Paul says, put on the whole armor of God. Like crusaders, we've got battles to fight against the devil and his forces. You know, we put programs out on television and then some uh, uh, 
um, people review them and they say, oh, we don't want this on our program, on our channel. We don't want this. People are complaining about it. We better get it off. There are battles to fight. We've got to figure out how to do these things the most effective way. So our mission, the mission of the Church of God, and the purpose of our crusade is to proclaim the coming kingdom of God, as we will see. This is going to be a challenge. Preaching the challenge in Satan's world is not going to be easy. We're going to have to use ingenuity. We're going to have to have a certain amount of stick-to-itiveness. Uh, we've got a job to do, a crusade to conduct, and a battle to fight. So what's the message we have to deliver? We talked about a mission, but what's the message? What did Jesus Christ preach? If you think back maybe 20 years ago, as the church was coming apart, there was a big discussion about what is the gospel? What is really the gospel? I remember talking to an individual that I'd been in college with. Uh, we were in Texas at that time. And I said, uh, Joe, we'll call him Joe. I said, what's the gospel? He said, well, the life and death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. I said, really? And there's a scripture you could go to, 1 Corinthians 15, that looks like that. But uh, it's talking about the issue over the resurrection. In, Math, in uh, Mark chapter 16, or four, excuse me, Mark chapter 1, what was the gospel that Jesus Christ preached? Why did he come to this earth? What was his message? In Matthew 28, we read that we're to teach what he commanded us to teach. We're to follow in his footsteps. In Mark chapter 1, verses 14 and 15, this is our message. Verse 14, and after John was put in prison, Jesus came into Galilee preaching the gospel of the kingdom of God. Preaching the gospel of the kingdom of God. And saying the time is fulfilled, the kingdom is at hand, I'm here a representative of that kingdom. Repent, change your life. In many cases, people are told, you know, just recite a little prayer and tell Jesus you love him and that's all there is and then you can be in heaven. No, Jesus said, repent, change your life. You know, begin keeping the Sabbath, begin keeping the holy days, begin marching in a different direction. You can't keep Sunday anymore. You can't keep Christmas. You need to change your life. You need to repent and change. You know, our country is going down the tubes today unless we repent. Unless we realize this is going nowhere. Now, your temptation today as a younger person or as an older person, well, I can do a little of these things and I can fit in with that and I can hum along with jingle bells and, <laughs> and all this stuff. No, we've got to come out of this world and be separate. And prepare to show the world a different way of life. We've got to be prepared to do that. And if you don't want to do that, then why are you here? Well, because my friends are here. Well, if your friends go someplace else, well, then where would you go? Brethren, we've got to have a focus. We've got to have a focus and be willing to leave the world behind and begin sharing with the world the truth of God, what is really coming down the road. The world is full of hope when you understand the future. If you look at the world the way it is today, it's not a lot of hope to have because this world is going in a very opposite direction. But Jesus came preaching the gospel of the kingdom of God. 
And turn over with you for a couple of other scriptures very quickly. In Acts chapter 1, what was Jesus talking about with his disciples after the crucifixion and the resurrection? It wasn't just give your heart to me and tell me you love me. In Acts chapter 1, talks about here, uh, speaking verse 3, to whom he also presented himself alive. In other words, Christ appeared to uh, his disciples uh, after the resurrection. He appeared alive after his suffering by many infallible proofs. You know, Luke is writing here as a testimony to another person. Being seen of them 40 days and speaking of the things pertaining to the kingdom of God. This is what Jesus was talking about with his disciples after the resurrection. Things pertaining to the kingdom of God. In verse 6, then the disciples, when they had come together, they asked him, saying, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? This is what they were focused on. They were focused on the coming kingdom of God. They were focused on that for reasons. I think we touched on this in a previous sermon. But the gospel is about the coming kingdom of God. One of the reasons the disciples were focused on these questions, are you, are you going to restore the kingdom now? In Matthew 19, verses 28 and 29, Matthew 19, 28 and 29, Jesus was talking to his disciples earlier before he died. And he said, uh, in the resurrection or in the restoration, in the regeneration, in the coming kingdom of God, you guys are going to sit on 12 thrones ruling the 12 tribes of Israel. He said, this is, this is your reward. This is what you're being called and prepared for. Now, they may be over the 12 tribes of Israel, but somebody's going to be over Charlotte. Somebody's going to be over Kansas City. Somebody's going to be over Washington, D.C. Somebody's going to be over Haiti. We were in Haiti a number of years ago. I read several books before I went down there. And one of the, the book titles was talking about the history of Haiti. It said it was written in blood. Written in blood. Because when things get wild down here, they get out their machetes. And we had probably a dozen people from Haiti in our congregation up in Boston. Very lovely people. Very warm people. But um, uh, <clears throat> things can happen. Things can happen in countries around the world. But those things are happening in, in Seattle. <laughs> in places in this country. Um, this world is becoming filled with violence, just like the world was filled with violence in Noah's time. And this is what we have to look forward to as nations begin to come apart. But the disciples were looking forward to sitting on 12 thrones. They were carnal at that time. But they were looking forward to sitting on thrones and judging the 12 tribes of Israel. They also heard comments by Jesus, you can also inherit eternal life. You can also inherit eternal life. When I was 17, 18, 19, I wasn't interested in eternal life. I just wanted to live life and experience life. But you know, as we get older and look in the mirror, you don't recognize who's looking back at you. 
missing some teeth and missing some hair and missing this and missing that. And uh, eternal life begins to sound a little bit better. I went back to a high school reunion here not too long ago, and the big question was, and who might you be? (laughs) Because we change as we get older. And kids that I went to high school with for for years, I didn't recognize who they were. And we had to just politely say, and, and who are you? <laughs> but with eternal life, we're not going to change. Maybe we'll get back the good looks that we had at one time if we had good looks. <laughs> it's going to be exciting. It's going to be interesting. But this is the future that the disciples were looking forward to. They weren't turned off about the future They were looking forward to the future. It was an exciting time. You know, the night before Jesus was crucified, go to John 14. And I want these remarks to fall on on the perspective that many people in the world don't have a perspective of the future that's exciting. They don't have a perspective of the future that's exciting. They look around today, they see what's going on. It's kind of like, I want to check out. I don't want to live in this world any longer. But in John 14, verse 1, 2, and 3, Jesus is talking with his disciples, knowing that he would die the next morning, the next day. He says, let not your heart be troubled. And he had told them several times, look, we're going to go up to Jerusalem, and they're going to kill me. And Peter said, oh, no, no, they're not. And Jesus said, get behind me, Satan. I came for a purpose. I've got a mission to accomplish. Satan was working on Jesus through Peter, or at least he tried to. So it's in this context. He says, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. Believe in what I'm telling you right now. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. But I'm going to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I'm going to come again. You know, what he was saying is, look, as in the temple, there are rooms here in headquarters. We've got different rooms for different departments and different people over those and in those departments. He's saying, look, this is what it's going to be like in the kingdom. We're going to have different responsibilities, different roles to play. And I'm going to prepare a place for you. You plug your name in there. Plug your name in there. You're not just an amorphous nobody. <laughs> was in John 15:16 or 16:15 says, "I have chosen you. You didn't choose me. I chose you by name. Chose your parents. You're here with them. You have an opportunity to inherit exactly what they're going to inherit. You know, don't walk away from those things. You've got a very special calling today. You've got a very special opportunity today that the kids you're in school with don't have. They're going to have their time later. Your neighbors, they might be nice people. Their time is going to come later. Yours and mine is right now. So don't walk away from it. Don't treat it lightly. Stay focused on that. If I go and prepare a place, I'm going to come again. You know, Douglas MacArthur was ordered out of the Philippines because the Japanese were coming in. They took over everything. But he got to Australia and he said, I'm going to return. I'm going to come back. And that gave those people hope. We have a hope. 
Because Jesus Christ said, I'm coming back. I'm going to return. I had a chance to visit the island where MacArthur's troops landed a number of years ago with uh, Bruce Tyler. Uh, and they have these big statues in a, in a reflecting pool over there of MacArthur and his staff. Uh, they're about eight feet tall, nine feet tall. And it was a Filipino there, a very industrious guy. Uh, he had rubber boots that he would rent to you <laughs> and a hat that you could put on, a helmet. He said, you can walk out there for a dollar or whatever it was, and I'll take your picture. So I got the boots, walked out there, but the the water came up with an inch within an inch of the top of the boots. So you walk very carefully from about here to that speaker over there because if I would have moved too fast, I had two wet feet. But uh, it, was, it was something. I got the pictures up in my office. But it was something to stand there realizing this is where all this stuff happened. But his broadcasts from Australia, I'm going to return, I'm coming back, gave those people hope gave those people hope, and it should give us hope. You know, do we believe what's in the book? Jesus said, I'm going to prepare a place for you, for you, and for you, and I'm coming back. And I want you to be ready. I want you to be ready. And I want you to complete the mission that I've given to you. I want you to complete the mission that I've given to you. So, brethren, this is the gospel uh, Jesus told his disciples, Revelation 5.10, you're going to become kings and priests. You've been called to become kings and priests in the coming kingdom of God. Civic leaders, religious leaders, to guide the world, to point the world in a very different direction. You're going to reign on this earth, not in heaven. You know, growing up when I was a kid, I heard about, I can walk on streets of gold in heaven and all these things are going to happen and I kept thinking I'm going to walk on a cloud and sit on that, but I, you know, I, every time you fly, you get down through the clouds, and it's not going to hold anything. <laughs> but I, I, I could never picture something in the future that I wanted to be part of. I wasn't interested in going to heaven. I wanted to enjoy what was happening down here. But Jesus said, you're going to reign on this earth with Jesus Christ. We're going to rebuild cities. We're going to restore the earth. This is going to be exciting. This is going to be exciting. Here we're told in Isaiah 2, verses 2 to 4, the law is going to go forth from Jerusalem. We're going to have a chance to share God's way of life with the entire world. The whole world is going to look to Jerusalem. You know, growing up in a Presbyterian church, nobody ever read those scriptures to me. <laughs> it was all about going to heaven. No, the world is going to look to Jerusalem. We're going to be there. You know, many of you people here in Charlotte work at headquarters or you're in and out of there. It's very exciting, very challenging sometimes, <laughs> very difficult sometimes, but it's also very exciting. Isaiah 9, verses 6 and 7, Christ is coming back to set up a government that is going to bring peace and justice to the entire world. We've got a bunch of people running around today, social justice warriors, and they want to save this and do that and change this and change that. It's not going to work. It's not going to work. It's not working now. 
But we've been called to become part of a government that's literally going to change the world. That's our crusade. This is what we're going to do. It's going to be a battle, but it's something that's going to be very exciting. Isaiah 35 talks about the whole environment's going to be restored. The deserts are going to blossom like a rose. People are going to be healed. People are going to be healthy. Again, we've got young people today that don't want to have any children because they see the world is going to pot. They don't want to have any more children to populate the earth and create more carbon dioxide and waste products and so on. So the solution is let's just not have any children. In some cases, I'm just going to check out because I don't want to contribute to any more problems on this earth. This is terrible. This is deceitful because there's no hope for many people. And yet we of all people have got an incredible hope for the future. An incredible hope for the future. A couple of other scriptures just to refer to. Revelation 11, Revelation 11, verses 15 to 18, says that the last trump, Jesus Christ is going to return as king of kings. He's going to return as king of kings. And the saints are going to be rewarded, and God is going to destroy those who destroy the earth. Your reward is going to be a crown. It's going to be eternal life. And some of us that are losing our hair, we need some crowns. But a crown is a symbol of rulership, of leadership. And there's one there with, for you with your name on it. It's there if you want it. If you fulfill the commission. If you endure to the end. We'll talk about that a little bit more. But the saints are going to be rewarded in Acts 3, verses 19 through 21. Acts 3, 19. Let's turn there. Mr. Armstrong used to refer to these scriptures as another set of pivotal scriptures in the Bible. This is the hope that we're all looking for. Acts chapter 3, verses 19 through 21. Verse 19, it says, Repent, therefore, and be converted. In other words, change. That your sins may be blotted out so that the times of refreshing, times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. You know, I was down in um, Arkansas last weekend in southwestern Missouri, and it was really very pretty country. And it was a time of refreshing. (laughs) just to be out away from the cities. Uh, it was sunny, uh, not too many people. It was, it was beautiful country. It's very refreshing to have those experiences. But it's talking here that the times of refreshing are coming from the presence of the Lord and that he may send Jesus Christ, who was preached unto you before, whom heaven must receive until the times of restoration of all things. This is what Christ is coming back to do, to restore everything, to restore the environment. The social warriors are not going to do that. Legislation uh, in Congress is not going to do that. These uh, environmental meetings are not going to do that. They may make a step in the right direction. It's an attempt, 
But it's not going to work. It's not going to be enough. Christ is coming back and bring a time of refreshing of all things, which God has spoken of by the mouth of all his holy prophets since the world began. Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel. That's been the message all along. And we've got a a part to play in that. A couple of other scriptures, you can jot them down. John 4.42. John 4.42. It says, Jesus Christ is coming back as the Savior of the world. This is the hope of the future. Jesus Christ is coming back as the Savior of the world. It's his government, staffed by individuals, his calling and training now, are going to restore the earth and bring things back to normal, what they should be. But he's coming back as the Savior of the world. Daniel 2.44 talks about in the days of these Gentile kings, that Jesus Christ is going to set up a government, set up a kingdom that's not going to have any end. We're getting close to that. We're getting close to that. One final scripture, Daniel 7.27, just like the airplane. The saints are going to possess the kingdom. The saints are going to possess the kingdom. That's your reward. That's our reward. How would you like to work with some of your friends restoring a certain part of the world? I'm amazed at what people are coming up with ideas for these family weekends and and other things. They're very encouraging, very exciting. I think we've imported some ideas from Kansas City. (laughs) Because I've watched these things happen out there. But it's going to be fun. It's going to be exciting to do some of these things. Working together with friends. Um, changing the world, pointing the world in the right direction. It's going to be very rewarding, very exciting. And we can focus on those things. But the world doesn't have this hope, brethren. The world doesn't have that hope. People are checking out. Don't want to have any kids. Don't want to get married. Get into drugs, everything else. Because they're not excited about the future. You know, if we're here, and you are here, (laughs) I hope you're excited about the future. Because there's nothing else. And some people, again, some people raised in the church, they got to go outside and get their fingers dirty and do all these things to see what it's like on the other side of the fence. There ain't nothing there. There ain't nothing there. Yes, it's glittery. It looks exciting. But don't go out there and try it because you're going to come back sooner or later with bruises and scrapes and this and that and the other thing. I remember talking to an older elder one time. He said, Doug, sometimes people get themselves into such a deep hole they'll never get out in this life. Sometimes people dig themselves into such a deep hole they'll never get out in this life. You know, in traveling to Africa and some of these other places, We've got brethren there that have literally nothing. But their hope is the coming kingdom of God. Because they don't have anything that resembles the kingdom of God right now. And we've got homeless people in this country that have literally nothing. Literally nothing. I saw a sign a guy was holding the other day, no family, no home, nothing. 
and he's sitting in a parking lot. We're going to have a chance to change some things one of these days, but we've got to fulfill our mission before that happens. Brethren, this is the gospel that we've just been talking about, that Jesus Christ and the apostles preach. It's good news. It really is good news about a coming kingdom of God. The saints are going to possess that kingdom and bring peace and justice to the world. Brethren, the the gospel, the true gospel, is not about gloom and doom. The true gospel is not about crime and corruption and everything else, which is filling the world's media today. It's about gospel of hope, about a real future that really is going to happen. And it may happen and come sooner than many of us realize. You just wonder how much longer is God going to let things go on before he pulls the plug? Deuteronomy 28.20 talks about your downfall is going to come suddenly. It's going to come suddenly. That's why we need to be prepared. We need to be prepared. You know, this is the missing dimension in the world today that we've been called to deliver. This is the mission of the church, and it's the message of this last crusade. I want to turn to Matthew 24, verse 14, in this context. Matthew 24, verse 14. I didn't make all this stuff up. It's in the book. Matthew 24, verse 14, the disciples asked, what's going to be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? How are we going to know we're getting closer to the end? One of the big signs, verse 14, and this gospel, this gospel of the kingdom that we've just been talking about, will be preached in all the world as a witness to all nations, and then the end is going to come. This is the mission of our crusade, to preach this gospel of a coming kingdom of God in all the world as a witness. It's interesting, some people have said in the past that, uh, well, it's Dr. Meredith's job to preach the gospel. We're just feeding the flock and we're just doing this and we're just doing that. No, the mission of our crusade is to preach this gospel of the coming kingdom of God in all the world as a witness. And then the end will come. How much bigger God is going to let the work grow? We're going to have to wait and see. But our job is to turn the world right side up, just as the apostles turned their world upside down from the paganism that was permeating their society. But brethren, this is the last crusade that the Bible talks about. You and I have been called to have a role in this crusade. Our mission is to fulfill the missing dimension in this modern world to provide a warning and a message of hope. Now, that's an incredible calling. It's an incredible opportunity. You know, people went on crusades because they wanted to liberate the Holy Lands. They wanted to liberate Jerusalem for physical things. We've been called to become part of a crusade that's going to literally change the world and prepare the way for the return of Jesus Christ. That's you. That's me. That's us. You look around the room. We don't look like crusaders. We don't have any horses. Now, one person did tell me he left his horse at home today. He had a cowboy hat on. (laughs) But we've been called to become crusaders, to change this world from what it has been to what it's going to be. 
Let's ask a couple more questions. What happened to that gospel that Jesus Christ preached? And why is the last crusade important today? Turn to 2 Corinthians. Paul was dealing with things in his day and in his time. And we're going to have to deal with the, We are dealing with the same things today. First, 2 Corinthians chapter 11. Paul was describing what he was dealing with. Start in verse 2, 2 Corinthians chapter 11. For I'm jealous for you with a godly jealousy, for I've begotten you to one husband, talking about Jesus Christ, that I may present you as a chaste virgin to Christ. But I fear lest somehow, as the serpent deceived Eve by his craftiness, so your minds may be corrupted from the simplicity that is in Jesus Christ. For if he who comes, or if false teachers come, uh, preaches another Jesus, about going to heaven, things like that, with long hair. Or if you receive a different spirit, you can go and visit our congregations pretty much all around the world, and there is the same spirit there. There is the same spirit there. But you can walk into other churches, whether they're Catholic, Protestant, whatever, there's a different spirit there. There can be nice people there, but there is a different spirit there. But then he talks about a different gospel. If they bring a different gospel about going to heaven, about just loving Jesus, and not a gospel about a coming kingdom of God, that God is going to reign through Jesus Christ on this earth, that's a very different gospel. He says, verse 13, These are false apostles, deceitful workers, transforming themselves into apostles or ministers of Christ. And no wonder, because Satan himself transforms himself into an angel of light. Therefore, it's no great thing if his ministers, Satan has ministers. But most ministers today in other churches don't recognize that. They're sincere, I think, in many cases. I remember talking to a young fellow a number of years ago when I first came back from England. He came up to visit Charlotte. He was a Baptist minister. He said, I'm trying to preach your doctrines, but I realize I'm not going to be able to do that very long because I'm going to lose my job. I don't know what he did. I only saw him one time. But he realized that he couldn't do that. He was realizing there is truth. And he was kind of between a rock and a hard place. But these are false ministers that don't recognize what the truth is. And the Bible labels them Satan's ministers. Now that's fighting words. That's not something that people want to hear. But that's what the Bible talks about. That's what the Bible talks about. <clears throat> so Paul talks about there were false teachers in his day uh, in Galatians chapter 1, Galatians 1, verses 6 to 9. He talks about Judaizers that were spreading a different gospel, that men needed to become circumcised before they could become real Christians. And Paul said that's, that's a false gospel. It's a different gospel. Edward Gibbon I want to just read that quote quickly. Edward Gibbon lived towards the end of the 1800s. He was a critic of Christianity. He was not a fan of Christianity. But in chapter 15, where he's talking about the beliefs of the early church, he makes this statement. So here's a critic talking about what happened to the gospel. He said, The ancient and popular doctrine of the millennium, the thousand-year reign of the saints, 
was intimately connected with the second coming of Jesus Christ. That was just what we were talking about. That Christ with a triumphant band of saints and the elect who escaped death or had been miraculously revived would reign upon this earth for a thousand years until the time appointed for the last and general resurrection. So pleasing, so exciting was this hope to the mind of believers. Now these were people who were being persecuted by the Romans living in an occupied country at that time. So pleasing was this hope to the mind of believers that the new Jerusalem, the seat of the blissful kingdom, was quickly adorned with the gayest colors of the imagination. The assurance of such a millennium was carefully inculcated by a succession of fathers from Justin Martyr to Arrhenius, but even before that by Peter and James and John, and before that by Jesus Christ. Though it might be universally, might not be universally received. Not everybody's going to believe this or like this. It appears to have been the reigning sentiment of orthodox believers. And it seems so well adapted to the desires and apprehensions of mankind that it must have, this teaching of the kingdom of God, must have contributed very considerably or to a considerably degree to the progress of the Christian faith. This is what drove the growth of the early church. Why did many of you people leave other churches and come into the church of God? It was probably because of the doctrine and the teachings of the coming kingdom of God. You wanted to be there. I hope. (laughs) That's why I'm here. (laughs) It was exciting. It was something I'd never heard before. But then he says, when the edifice of the church was almost completed, the temporary support, the teachings about the kingdom of God, was laid aside. The doctrine of Christ's reign on earth was at first treated as a profound allegory. It's just a story that we don't fully understand or comprehend. And then it was considered a doubtful and useless opinion. Well, that's your opinion. And at length was rejected as the absurd invention of heresy and fanaticism. That's what happened to the gospel. That's what happened to the gospel of the kingdom of God. That's why we hear today the gospels about uh, Jesus loves you and be nice and you can go to heaven because this has all been lost. It's all been lost. Now, brethren, we have been given a message to deliver. We've been given a message to deliver about a coming kingdom of God, about solutions to the world's problems that are coming, and that you're going to have an opportunity to share those solutions with others. The world really needs to hear the true gospel, and that's the message of our crusade. Now, why doesn't the world realize why the world is a mess? You do because you understand certain key scriptures. In Revelation 12:9 it says Satan has deceived the whole world. Satan has deceived the whole world, the churches of the world, the governments of the world. I mentioned this before, came across this book some time ago, Seven Men Who Rule the World from the Grave. Seven Men Who Rule the World from the Grave. Talks about Darwin, talks about Freud, talks about Marx, John Dewey and some others, these were individuals that lived in late 1800s, early 1900s. 
And it's their ideas that have made the world today what it is. Why we're into socialism, why we don't believe in God, why we're not uh, excited about the Bible. They're short chapters, they're summary chapters, but it gives you an overview of individuals that Satan has misled and their ideas then have misled the world and pointed the world in a very different direction. So Satan has deceived the whole world in 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 8 and 9. Satan's goal is to destroy and deceive individuals, churches, nations. He wants to thwart God's plan. He wants to interrupt God's plan, stop the work. That's his goal. And we've got to be careful we don't get sucked in, and some people have. You know, they left the church. Well, I don't agree with those decisions. I'm going to leave and start my own. All that does is water down the effort. All that does is divide. And it's interesting. Mr. Armstrong said years ago, those that leave the church and start their own churches basically come to nothing. Basically come to nothing. Now, that was his comment numerous times. And we've seen that happen. I've been involved with the church about 55 years. And I came up with a list of about 20-some people that have left over a period of time. And they basically come to nothing. That's what Mr. Armstrong was saying years ago. That's Satan's plan. And we can plug into that or get sucked into that if we're not careful. You know, Satan is deceived and he tempted Eve in the garden. Adam followed along, wanted to keep peace in the family. <laughs> and as a result, human beings went down the wrong path. Satan worked on David with Bathsheba. Satan worked on Peter. You know, Peter, you're going to stand up for Jesus. He needs some help. Jesus said, get behind me, Satan. Satan's goal is to disrupt God's plan, to knock the chosen people off course. God called the Israelites to be a light and example to the world. He gave them his book, but they got shunted aside. Jeroboam did a real job. He changed the feast, possibly the Sabbath, pointed people in Israel in the wrong direction. We've got to be careful we don't get sucked into that. You know, Satan is still active today. He went after David. He went after Peter. He went after, you know, Judas. But he's going after people today. Um, <clears throat> people have left the church over singing or not singing or wearing masks or not wearing masks. You know, these things divide. These things divide. Some people have left the church because, well, I got my nose out of joint. I was offended by this or I was offended by that. Don't bite. In these things. Don't let any man take your crown. Well, I can't sit in this side of the church because I'm going to sit over there because I don't like this person or that person. You know, don't let this happen. Don't let this happen. Brethren, we've got a mission. We've got to stay focused on that mission. Let's begin to wind this up. What admonitions do we find in the Bible for the church of God at the end of the age? What admonitions do we find in the Bible for the church of God? And that's you, that's me, 
as we approach the end of the age. Second Timothy chapter three, second Timothy chapter three mentions in the last days, terrible times are going to come. Terrible times. Talks about blasphemers, people that mock the Bible, that mock God, that mock his way of life. You know, as the church was coming apart or dividing back about 25 years ago, people were told there is no plan. There is no plan. We've talked for years, the, the holy days picture God's plan, but that people were being told by individuals, there is no plan. There is no plan. They were given a new definition of the, of the gospel. And a lot of people bit. A lot of people bit. Revelation 12, verses 9 through 17 says, At the end of the age, Satan is going to be angry. His time is short. And he's going to be persecuting the church and trying to disrupt the work. And yet we're told in 2 Timothy chapter 4, preach the word <laughs> in season and out of season. Preach the gospel. Continue to do the work. That's the admonition that Paul was giving right before he died. Revelation 3, talking about the era of the Philadelphia, or the Philadelphia era of the church. Revelation 3, verses 8 to 13. He said, if you persevere and continue doing the work, you're going to be protected during the tribulation. If you do your job, if you do your job, you're going to be protected during the tribulation. Revelation 11, verses 15 through 18, says Christ is going to return. The saints are going to be rewarded. But another scripture to focus on in that context, Revelation 17, verse 14, says those who are with him when Christ returns, those who are with him are called, you've been called, they're chosen, you've been chosen to be in the church today, and they're faithful. They've continued to do what they were instructed to do by Jesus Christ, to go into all the world and preach the gospel. Continue to do that. You know, put your hearts in the work. And Mr. Armstrong made those comments again years ago. Those people with their hearts in the work have stayed focused. Those people with their hearts in the work have stayed focused. What do we do to finish the crusade? Let me give you five quick points. What do we do? What do we have to do? What must we do? Number one, stay close to God. Stay close to God. Now, that's a big phrase, but look at Matthew chapter 7 quickly. Matthew chapter 7, last part of the Sermon on the Mount, beginning in verse 21. Jesus is, has an admonition here. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven. Not everybody that comes to church on the Sabbath. Not everybody that passes out songbooks. Not everybody that parks cars. Not everybody that sets up chairs. Is going to be in the kingdom of heaven. But he who does, she who does the will of my father. Jesus said, if you love me, keep my commandments. Jesus said, go into all the world and preach the gospel. Many will come to me in that day saying, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name, preached sermons in your name, done various wonderful things? Then I will declare unto them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. We've got to get close to God. Take time to pray every day. David said he prayed morning, noon, and evening. We've got to do that. We've got to do that. Pray for the work. 
Pray for the broadcast. Pray for the classes that are taught. Pray for each other. These are things that we can all do. Study. Study your Bible. It's so easy to, to get caught up in the latest news thing that's going on. You can spend all day on the computer learning about this and that and the other thing. Keep your nose in the book so that you can prepare to show people a better way of life. Stay close to God. Number two, stay focused on our mission. Stay focused. Pray about it. Pray for the Tomorrow's World presentations, the people that come will be moved to want to do something, to want to act on what they're hearing. Stay focused on our mission. Number three, do the work. Do the work. Some of your work is going to be on your knees praying for the work. Whatever you have to do, your job and the work, do it with all your might. Preparing to teach in the coming kingdom of God. Get ready to do that. You know, Jesus mentions in John 17, he says, I've finished the work that you gave me to do. John 17. I've finished the work that you gave me to do. In verse chapter 17, verse 18, he says, as you sent me into the world, I have sent them into the world. I've sent them into the world with a mission to preach the gospel. Number four, in Ezekiel 9.4, Ezekiel 9.4, the angels there were told, mark those, put a mark on the foreheads of those who sigh and cry for the state of their nation. You know, we see our, our nation going down the tubes. We can't have this attitude, well, good riddance. <laughs> no, people are going to suffer. We've got to develop a sense of care, compassion, and concern. Because these may be our neighbors, it may be our relatives, may be our friends that are going to go through the tribulation. God wants to see that we care. Jesus Christ came to give his life for people that killed him. We've got to develop a sense of compassion, a sense of care. I came across a quote one time about a definition of a leader. A leader is a person who cares enough to want to change circumstances that are hurting other people. A leader is a person who wants to change, who cares enough to want to change circumstances that are hurting other people. Our crusade is to prepare the way for the return of Jesus Christ, who's going to bring peace and justice to this world. Brethren, as the worldly holidays begin to swirl around us, and they will over the next couple of weeks, uh, let's stay focused. Stay focused on our mission. Let's deliver the message of warning and hope that is part of the last crusade. As good crusaders, let's grow, let's overcome, and let's endure to the end. Matthew 24, verse 13. If we endure to the end, if we complete our mission, we're going to wind up fulfilling that last crusade and being in the kingdom of God together.